Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 11 edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Durbovalski, and in this edition, we'll take our first look at a six-pack of regression. That's right, time to get those mathletics involved, and we'll look at six things from Week 10 that, if you were to look at regression, weren't really all that surprising. Of course, we also have our six-pack of headlines from Week 10, and looking at some of those headlines, it'll be a look ahead to what's to come for some of these teams. Also, we have our six-pack of top teams through 10 weeks, and finally, a six-pack of exciting matchups for Week 11. First, of course, we'll start things off with our six-pack of headlines. First up on our six-pack of headlines involves Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons losing to the New Orleans Saints 31-27 Sunday at the Superdome. Now, I'm going to say this with all fairness to Matt Ryan. I think he's having a great season, but I don't think he's a top-five candidate for the MVP. And in fact, I think people are overrating his season so far. I know a big headline in Atlanta not only has been the 8-0 start, but the rise of Matt Ryan's numbers. He's having a fantastic season. The Falcons right now third in offensive passer rating. It's over 100. So why exactly am I thinking that it's overrated? Well, look at Atlanta's competition. If you're to take a look at the Falcons' first nine opponents and even take away Atlanta's stats, the Falcons' opponents' passer rating the defensive pass rating for their opponents is at 92.09, which if you're to do a hypothetical, that would be 22nd in the league right now. Let's compare this to the two teams ahead of the Falcons in offensive pass rating. The Green Bay Packers at 108.34, led by Aaron Rodgers, have faced an opponent's defensive passer rating of 78.68, when you take away the Packers' numbers. That, in fact, ironically enough, would rank 6th in the list along with the Green Bay Packers. As for the Denver Broncos, who are 2nd and have a 107.64 passer rating, their opponent's defensive pass rating when you take away the Broncos' stats is at 87.94, which is 17th in the league. So, just kind of looking at this right now, the, the Falcons, yes, they're out playing what they should be doing in the passing game, and obviously that deserves a lot of credit to go to Matt Ryan. But if you're to look at a relativity index of, of some sorts for the passer rating here, the Falcons are at 10.55, the Packers are just under 30, and the Broncos are just under 20. Bottom line, looking at those two, I would put... Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning ahead of Matt Ryan in the MVP race. And of course, there has to be some other players outside the quarterbacks. Add in J.J. Watt, Tim Jennings, and Adrian Peterson for starters. And I don't think Matt Ryan's a top five candidate. I need to see more from the Atlanta Falcons. And that's been a constant theme here on the stat pack. I know, I understand. Maybe people are getting tired of me finding holes and trying to, to poke holes in the, the resume of the Atlanta Falcons. But think about this past week against the New Orleans Saints. 
Matt Ryan completing 34 of 52 passes for 411 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. That's great, right? I mean, his passer rating, again, in the hundreds. But the Saints this season have a defensive passer rating of 104.43. That's the worst in the league. And in fact, Matt Ryan actually underplayed those expectations. And it was a big reason why the Falcons couldn't get the job done when they needed to at the end because Matt Ryan just just couldn't do enough to keep up with what other teams have been doing to the Atlanta Falcons. So although I... I Definitely have Matt Ryan 6-10 to 10 on my MVP list. And maybe even if I wanted to do a six-pack of MVP candidates, maybe he gets there. But right now, let's just keep him out of the talks until he has a big game against a quality opponent. Second up on our six-pack of headlines, we look at the Dallas Cowboys defeating the Philadelphia Eagles 38-23, but I'll say this right now, don't buy into them. Let's break down this game a little bit for the Cowboys. Three non-offensive touchdowns, and we will talk about the regression factor from that in a moment, but look at how those touchdowns happen. You have a punt return by Dwayne Harris, and Harris is running down the sidelines, not exactly the best of angles, by the Eagles in that punt coverage. I'll give credit where credit is due to Harris. Showed a lot of quickness, got a great return and a touchdown, but looked a little bit easier than what it should be. Then you have an interception return for a touchdown by the Cowboys that was quite a lot to do with luck. Okay, Nick Foles on the pass, threw it behind the receiver, but as the receiver, Deshaun Jackson, is getting hit, The ball bounces off the quad of the tackling linebacker and bounces right into Brandon Carr's arms. Carr then makes the return for the touchdown. Finally, we have a fumble recovery for a touchdown when the game was not necessarily in hand just yet, but it was 31-23. The Eagles had no timeouts left. They were starting a drive deep in their own territory. Again... You talk about luck, well, let's put in circumstance here. And the circumstance was any mistake like that could have led to a touchdown, and it did. Bottom line, I don't think you're going to get this scenario to happen again for Dallas. I mean, let's face it, scoreability. The Cowboys were 30th entering Week 10, and here you go with three non-offensive touchdowns. To me, this is an outlier, and this is regression to the mean, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But also of note, let's look at Nick Foles' numbers for a second. 22 of 32 for 219 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. That's an offensive pass rating of 25.9, which actually kind of fits in with the team's 90.32 defensive passer rating. Bottom line, the way I look at it right now, I didn't see anything that shows significant improvement from the defense or significant improvement from the team's playmaking abilities. In fact, if you were to look at the offense, maybe the best thing they did was get a touchdown on their first drive. The Cowboys have struggled all year. They've struggled, in fact, throughout the entire Tony Romo era, scoring in the first quarter. Eagles get a touchdown on their first drive. The Cowboys bounce back a touchdown on their first drive. 
that might be the best sign for the Cowboys moving forward. But bottom line is, I think luck, chance, circumstance very much determine this outcome. Michael Vick getting injured, and a few balances the Cowboys' way, and some keen on offensive touchdowns. I'll put it this way. Although the Cowboys won 38-23, considering my feelings very Michaela Maroney about the Dallas Cowboys winning at 4-5 and five right now, I still need to see more. Third up on my six-pack of headlines, and that's seeing some good old-fashioned throwback slugfest-type football in the Houston Texans-Chicago Bears game. Now, 13-6, Texans over the Bears. It's rainy. The Pastors can't get much of a job done. In fact, a combined 40.85 offensive pass rating. I know what people are saying. That's ugly football. That's not pretty. We at least need to see if it's not going to be an offensive shootout. At least let's see some efficient passing. But I actually think this is good, not just for the game of football, but good for what may be to come later on in the NFL season. Think about this. Both offenses were slowed down a lot by the rain and the wind and the bad field conditions. Then you also look at the Chicago Bears losing Jay Cutler for the second half of the football game. All of a sudden, you really don't have much film to look at. And that will be a key thing for an entertaining battle between the Texans and Bears if they are to have a rematch in Super Bowl forty-seven. I know what you're saying. The last rematch of note from a regular season game to the Super Bowl was Super Bowl forty-two. When New England faced the Giants, and then the two met up again last year after a regular season battle. Both times, the games went down to the end in the regular season. Both times, the game went down to the end in the Super Bowl. I understand that, but that, I think at least, has in part to do with the way the Giants match up against Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Are you going to have the same thing between the Texans and Bears? Probably not. I mean, uh, let's face it. It's not exactly two of the well-versed teams in the league. Not a lot of people think about Gary Kubiak and his offensive style, even though they run a zone-blocking scheme with arguably the best play-action fake in years. Meanwhile, the Bears... Yes, obviously, the famous Tampa 2 defense, but not many people look at what goes on in terms of the schematics of Lovey Smith. People know, obviously, the coaching styles of Bill Belichick, and obviously, now people know about the ability of Tom Coughlin to get upsets. I don't think you can really look at that model to say that necessarily the rematch is going to be good. Who knows? If this game was a clean weather game and Jay Cutler didn't get injured, maybe it's a more offensive game. Maybe it's equally as defensive. But I think more more of a factor of teams knowing what the other team has. I like to see that there's a lot in the open now if there, to, if there was to be a rematch in Super Bowl 47. So I think that was very good 
for the season and just for the game itself. It's it's nice to see a game where there's something defensive. It's a balance. That's 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 what we like here at Cold Hard Football Facts. Balance. We talk about passer rating differential. Well, that obviously balances out offense and defense. So you have to think of it that way. Sometimes there's going to be offensive shootouts and not as much these days. There's going to be defensive slugfests. So it's nice when we see it. The two teams combined, 7 of 27 on third down. You add in a sack. You add in five turnovers on, you add in five turnovers on passing plays. And you have a very good defensive game by both defensive hogs, both passing defenses. And I think that was something that was quite cool to see, just the adventure of teams trying to score in Sunday night's game. Although some people didn't like it, I did. You can consider me a throwback type guy. So, A plus to that Texans-Bears game. Well, for number four on my six-pack of headlines, it's going to be quite the opposite. As much as I like the ugliness of the Texans-Bears, I equally hated the ugliness of the Rams-49ers overtime game. And I understand ties are going to happen. It's cool to see the novelty of it. I mean, is it really cool to see neither team win? Okay, probably not. But I do like seeing sometimes different things. Well, not this time. Just the way it was handled might have made it the worst tie, at least in my lifetime, and maybe one of the worst ties in NFL history. Think about this. The first play... Of overtime is an 80-yard completion to Danny Amendola. Brings the ball down to the San Francisco two-yard line. However, it's negated by penalty. After that, the longest play from that negated play to the final play of overtime was 14 yards. That was the longest gain. The 24-yard gain ended the game so that doesn't really matter there was nothing to it because it ended in a tie other than that the longest play was 14 yards where's the urgency 15 minutes this is this is a win at stake instead you get a tie which is a half win which i don't know maybe some people just want to consider a loss because well let's face it neither team won but think about what happened in this overtime David Akers missing a 41-yard field goal. You have a 53-yard field goal made by the Rams that never happened because of a delay of game, making it a 58-yarder. And you have your kicker, Big Z, Greg Zerlin, go and miss a 58-yarder. Then, in the Rams' final drive, you have a ref fiasco that wasn't really mentioned by the broadcasting crew, But after a fumble that the Rams recovered by themselves, there's about 20 seconds wasted because the referees didn't spot the ball correctly and didn't really allow the the, uh, Rams to have a timely opportunity to set up and spike the ball. And then you have the Rams and 49ers not even really attempt to get the ball down the field. Again, the longest play was 14 yards in overtime, Colin Kaepernick of the 49ers 
You want to know his overtime stat line? Passing the ball, one of one for 11 yards. As for Sam Bradford, now, he did have four passes before the final drive and then had seven passes during that final drive. But why would it take until the final two minutes for there to be more than five passes between two teams in an overtime game? I understand Sam Bradford's not there yet where he's not really good enough to rapidly pass the ball down the field. I understand Colin Kaepernick's filling in for an injured Alex Smith, but you're trying to win the ball game. Can I quote Herm Edwards here? I mean, you should be playing to win the game, not to win half the game or get a half win for the game. Doesn't even make sense. So it, it was it was ugly on all accounts. 49ers, Rams, the referees, and I kind of want those 15 to 20 minutes back in my life, but at least I'm going to rant about it for three or four or five minutes. To me, that was pathetic. And honestly, in terms of beauty points, it almost felt like two losses for both of these teams because of how bad that ending was. Oi, fat. Number five here on the six-pack of headlines, and it's about the Seattle Seahawks. And it's more of a question than a statement. I want to ask you guys this. Should we start to look at the Seattle Seahawks as a legitimate Super Bowl contender? They go ahead, defeat the New York Jets in authoritative fashion, 28-7. to Don't even allow... An offensive touchdown. The only touchdown the Jets got was on a fumble recovery when Russell Wilson was sacked and lost the fumble. But passing-wise, you had Russell Wilson go 12 of 19 for 188 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, an offensive pass rating above 130. You also include Sidney Rice's touchdown pass to Golden Tate late in the game. And the team's passer rating was 139.79. So now all of a sudden the Rams, or excuse me, the Hawks, are getting it done defensively, offensively, in the pass, in the run, pass defense, pass rush, all of the above. The Seattle Seahawks are getting it done outside of maybe a struggling run defense. And the only... Key statistical factor, which make up the quality stats power rankings, the only thing where the Seahawks are outside the top 20 is in the offensive hog index. They are 7th overall in the power rankings. They have tied for a league high 3 quality wins. They're 10th now in offensive passer rating, 3rd now in defensive passer rating, which puts them 5th in passer rating differential. And it's starting to really look like this team might have a chance, at least statistically, to make a run at the Super Bowl. But I want to break a few things down. First things first, the Russell Wilson factor. Obviously, there's never been a rookie quarterback that made a start in the Super Bowl. So that much, definitely going against Russell Wilson. But think about right now where he's at. He's through 10 games, averaging 25.3 pass attempts per game. I'm going to boost that a little bit and go with an average of 27.5 pass attempts per game. I went back 
and looked over the last 20 years at teams that had 440 pass attempts or fewer as a team. Only two made the Super Bowl, the 1998 Atlanta Falcons and the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers. The story here, I'm going to think you're going to need a little bit more balance than a run-heavy offense that's kind of easing a rookie quarterback through. Yes, Russell Wilson, he's getting more efficient by the week. And as you'll see on our detailed look at the top rookie performances, which we looked at this week here on ColdHeartFootballFacts.com, great stuff by Kerry Byrne. You look at it, Russell Wilson statistically at worst behind RG3 among the starting quarterbacks who are rookies, but he might be the best right now. He might be the best, especially as of late. What he does have going for him, even if it's not a Super Bowl run, perhaps the Seahawks might have a run to the conference championship within him. Looking at those teams who had fewer than 440 pass attempts as a team since 1993, Three of the four teams that had rookie starting quarterbacks advance their club to the conference championships fit in this list. The 2004 Steelers, the 2008 Ravens, and the 2009 New York Jets. Just keep that in mind when you think about Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. But I think right now, no matter what, it's probably not best to look at a Super Bowl run. Yes, the Seahawks, right now, a great passer rating differential. 18.77 would actually hypothetically ranked 50th among NFL champions since 1940. So that's putting them somewhere in the lower edge of the middle third. Yes, they have a great defensive pass rating. It's under 80. And only four champions in Super Bowl history had a passer rating over 80. And all four of them are since 1998. And in fact, the Seahawks, with their offensive passer rating of 92.52, have a better mark than seven Super Bowl champions in that span. But think about the road record. and it, Look, the, the, the precedent is there. The Seattle Seahawks, a 1-4 road record right now, even if they were to win out on the road, there's been only nine Super Bowl teams Nine Super Bowl teams, and we're now up to 92, so it's below 10% of Super Bowl teams, had a non-winning road record in the regular season. Only nine. And if if the Seahawks are to lose one more road game, which is highly possible considering one of the three road games is in Chicago, the odds get a lot worse. There have been only two Super Bowl teams. In all of NFL history, two Super Bowl teams that had a losing record and made it all the way to the Super Bowl. The 2008 Arizona Cardinals and the 2010 Green Bay Packers. I guess the good sign is, well, the precedent has been earned recently. It's kind of like the Matt Ryan factor I talked about weeks ago with an 0-3 playoff record where he can only look at Eli Manning's 0-2 playoff record and Aaron Rodgers' 0-1 playoff record before their respective Super Bowl victories. Well, here, the Seahawks may be a little bit of recent precedent, 
But the bottom line is, if you can't get the job done on the road in the regular season, really what's going to make me think you can get that job done in the playoffs? And right now for the Seattle Seahawks, the odds aren't exactly favoring them. I'll say this. Let's just see what they can do as a playoff spoiler. And finally, in our six-pack of headlines, the Cincinnati Bengals destroying the New York Giants 31-13. I'm not going to talk about the Giants for now. They have a bye week. Instead, I'm going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And let's speculate here exactly how much this helps them out. They moved up 10 spots in the quality stats power rankings, up 6 spots in defensive real passing yards per attempt, up 7 spots in defensive real quarterback rating, up 6 spots in defensive passer rating, up 12 spots in passer rating differential, and up 7 spots in the relativity index. It's been only the second quality victory of Andy Dalton's career, but because all that happened in one week, I think you'd be remiss to value this victory all that much. It's just one game, and right now the Bengals have skewed stats that are kind of overvaluing what the Bengals can do. It's an outlier at this point right now. Instead, what I want to see is what the Bengals can do moving forward. Sunday... They go to Kansas City to face a Chiefs team that will experience regression in the second half of the season. They won't turn the ball over as much. As a result, the Bengals probably aren't as good of a position as they probably could have been a few weeks ago facing the Chiefs to improve themselves in the quality stats. Meanwhile, after that, there's a home game against the lowly Oakland Raiders who whose defense is just horrible. Then a matchup at San Diego. Then you have back-to-back games against the inefficient Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles before finally two divisional games to close out the season, the Steelers and Ravens. The Bengals will determine exactly how much this victory meant to them by the time they face the Steelers in Week 16. Hey, it's possible the Bengals go... Three and two, maybe just outside chance of four and one. But I don't think so. I think the game against the Giants was an outlier. It was an ugly sore thumb for the Giants. It was a good bit amount of false hope for the Cincinnati Bengals. I actually consider them a threat to lose at Kansas City, and I don't think they'll win. In San Diego, I don't think they'll defeat the Dallas Cowboys. They probably can lose against the Philadelphia Eagles on the road, and I wouldn't pick them right now against either the Steelers or Ravens. I still see the Bengals right now at this point a 6-8 to eight win team. I can't value that win against the Giants that much. Bottom line, it was an outlier, and as you look at the quality stats for the Bengals, This week and moving forward for the next few weeks, keep in mind how big that win was statistically against the Giants, but also how it overvalues the Bengals' statistical prowess.
Moving forward here on the Stat Pack, we now take a look for the first time this season at a six-pack of regression. That's right, the good old mathletics here. As now that we're past the halfway mark of the 2012 season, we can look at six things from each week that show statistical regression and things that you can probably perhaps predict if you're looking at the stats hard enough and we're trying to look at the mathletics of the matter. First things first, from Week 10, the Tennessee Titans scoring defense. The Titans allowed 308 points in their first nine games of the season. Obviously, that's a really bad mark. That's nearly 35 points per game. And that in itself, a very dangerous mark because you're looking at a pace well over 500 and perhaps near the all-time worst mark in NFL history. Well, consider the regression all said and done. The Titans defeat the Dolphins 37-3 in Week 10. And the Titans, even with allowing just three points against the Dolphins, still allowing 31.1 points per game. And that is still the worst in the NFL by a pretty considerable margin. In fact... No other team outside of the Raiders and the Titans and the Bills have allowed more than 260 points this season at this point. But nonetheless, the Titans got some much-needed defensive regression, and it probably, honestly, saved Jerry Gray's career as a Titans defensive corner, at least for now. So that's the first part of regression. The second point Andy Dalton and his interception streak here in 2012. Andy Dalton threw at least one interception in each of his first eight games of the season. It looked like things were going to be terrible, especially considering the fact that he was facing the New York Giants, who had 17 interceptions. But for the first time this season, Andy Dalton goes interception-free. Four touchdowns, no interceptions in the 31-13 victory over the Giants. The third point of regression, that's the Chicago Bears turnover margin. And how about it? Just last week, I mentioned it. Just last week, I mentioned how that plus 16 turnover margin through eight games could not be retained. Well, what do you know? The Chicago Bears put up a negative two turnover margin in their 13-6 loss against the Houston Texans. Regression has just begun for the Chicago Bears. Number four, the Kansas City Chiefs and their time ahead. For those of you who have followed cold hard football facts throughout the years, I wrote an article last year about studying the trends of correlation and predictive rate when it comes to teams holding a lead and the time that they held on to that lead. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs, held a lead for exactly zero minutes and zero seconds through eight games. Yes, I know they have a one in seven record, but the only lead was as the game ended against the New Orleans Saints in week three. Well, how about it? They score the first 10 points of the game against the Steelers on Monday Night Football. and Well, you can add in a good handful of minutes right there. The Chiefs just beginning to have some regression towards their winning ways. And I I do put the Cincinnati Bengals on high upset alert on Sunday. And 
I might even go with the upset when it's all said and done and I make my picks. Meanwhile, we move forward now to our fifth point of regression from week 10, and that's the Colts and takeaways. The Colts forced three turnovers against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That equals their total through eight games. In fact, it was tied for an NFL low through eight games. So the Colts got some much-needed regression, and perhaps that can help them moving forward. The Colts ranked 30th. 30th for a 6-3 uh, and three team? That's right, 30th in pass rating differential. I think that will continue to improve as the Colts experience a little bit more regression defensively enforcing turnovers so uh, keep a lookout for that and who knows maybe that the Colts can get some things going Um, but certainly this was a a big game for them able to get a few turnovers in their favor against the Jacksonville Jaguars and finally number six the final point of week 10 regression that's the Dallas Cowboys and their scoreability they were 30th move up to 25th Thanks in large part to three return touchdowns against the Philadelphia Eagles. They needed no yards of offense to get 21 points. That at least will help out Dallas. And and to be fair, a lot of the other teams have had such luck spread out through their first eight to nine games of the season. So it's it's good to see the Cowboys get their fair share of luck, even if it is all pushed together into one game. So that is... Just the beginning, but a six-pack of statistical regression. Moving forward here on the Stat Pack, we take a look at a six-pack of top teams in the NFL through 10 weeks. Obviously, number one, the Houston Texans. They're number one in the quality stats power rankings. They've been number one on my list pretty much the entire season. And then they go into Chicago. Defeat the Bears in ugly weather in a game where the Bears intercepted Matt Schaub twice. you got to give the credit to the Houston Texans. They are quite clearly still the best team in the NFL. Now, number two. Number two is a tough one because do I go with Atlanta despite their loss? Do I go with Chicago despite their loss? Do I go with the 49ers? Despite their tie, does someone else move up the list? The Green Bay Packers, the Denver Broncos. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick with the Chicago Bears at number two right now. And it's because the Chicago Bears, by a little bit of circumstance, with Jay Cutler getting injured didn't have as good of a chance as they could have to defeat the Houston Texans, but they still play the Texans close. The Atlanta Falcons lost in a divisional game against a Saints team that does not have a winning record. So for now, I move the Chicago Bears to number two. Number three on the list, I'll go with the Denver Broncos, despite defeating the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta's finally lost, so... I'll put them down a little bit here. The Broncos, who are second in the quality stats power rankings, they go third on my list. They're playing some great football. And I thought it was really interesting to look at Peyton Manning outplaying the opponents by about 
a 20-point relativity in passer rating. I was very much impressed by that. I will go with the Atlanta Falcons 4 and the Green Bay Packers 5. Green Bay, yes. A pass rating relativity around 30 points. Really great to see from Green Bay. But again, you have to go back to some of their losses. Losing to a rookie, Russell Wilson. Losing to a rookie, Andrew Luck. Those losses, I think, hurt them a little bit more than, say, the Denver Broncos, who, yes, losing to the Atlanta Falcons and ahead of the Falcons, still an 8-1 Falcons team, still a 7-2 Houston team, and then at New England, the, pa- the Patriots rarely lose there at Gillette Stadium. So I-, I-, I put the Broncos ahead of both the Falcons, number four on my list, and the Packers, number five on my list. In terms of the quality stats, power rankings, Denver's second, Atlanta's fifth, Green Bay's fourth. Number six on my list to close out the six-pack of teams, it is the San Francisco 49ers. Despite their tie, they didn't lose. They got a half win and a half loss. So uh, they stay up there in the top six, and they are third in the quality stats. Power rankings, it will be interesting to see, considering what's going on with Alex Smith, and now you have Colin Kaepernick there. Kaepernick will still help out the real quarterback rating because of his running ability, but who knows what's going to go on with that team as they continue to hit a tough portion of their schedule, but they are sixth on my list right now in the quality stats power rankings, and that wraps up my six-pack of top teams. Finally, to close out the stat pack here as we take a bigger focus on week 11 and what's to come ahead, it's Well, a six-pack of exciting matchups. And I must start things off with Green Bay at Detroit. And for one particular thing in terms of matchups, and that's for fantasy football. I know, okay, this is actually the first time I've talked about fantasy football on the stat pack. But I think right now, considering the other matchups, I don't really have a whole lot better than to look at What will happen between Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford after last year in week 17 of the season? You had Matt Flynn and Matt Stafford combined for, what, around 1,000 yards and 86 points? Let's see what can happen between these two teams uh, with Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford battling up against each other. Let's see how it will impact Calvin Johnson. Will it impact Jordy Nelson if he can play? Or Greg Jennings if he can play? Will it impact James Jones, Titus Young? There's going to be a lot of interesting things, I think, that will happen in this game. And this might be a game that the Packers lose by sheer will of passing. Or it might be a game where Matt Stafford throws a handful of interceptions and continues to show his regression that was expected here in 2012. Second up on my exciting matchup six-pack is Andrew Luck against the New England pass defense. The Patriots are 28th in defensive pass rating. But as I mentioned, the Colts are 30th in pass rating differential. And in fact, Andrew Luck 
in the Indianapolis Colts are 25th in offensive pass rating. A lot of people are overrating Luck's performance right now because the Colts are 6-3, and three, but a lot of it is, is, is kind of being mended together uh, by just bits and pieces and, oh yeah, the sheer determination and mental strength to win for their ailing head coach, Chuck Pagano. It's not really about Luck's pedigree right now. It's about just getting the job done despite being a statistical eyesore, to be honest. So I'm interested to see here if Andrew Luck can put together a great game or if this is an opportunity for the Patriots to get things going defensively. They had a great game against the St. Louis Rams a few weeks ago in London. Then off the bye, they allow the Bills to score 31 points, and if not for an awful pass... A terrible pass, really, by Ryan Fitzpatrick in the final drive on Sunday. There was a chance the Bills could have won in Foxborough for the first time in more than a decade. So I still don't buy that New England pass defense, and someone's got to have a good day, you would think. So I'm interested to see how that will work out. Third up on my six-pack is another rookie against another bad pass defense, but this one's a little bit more interesting to me. Nick Foles making his first NFL start going up against the Washington Redskins pass defense. Now on the flip side, there's an interesting matchup in itself. RG3 going up against Philadelphia's pass defense. But I want to see what happens for Nick Foles. He had a decent game against Dallas, who has a decent pass rating. But Washington is 25th in pass rating. They're not getting the job done really against anybody. Can they finally get the job done against Nick Foles and maybe propel the Redskins out of the NFC East cellar? Or will Nick Foles, in his first start, have a good game and give some promise to this Eagles fan base that for the first time in 14 years sees their team take the field with a losing streak of five games or more? I'm very intrigued to see what will happen in that matchup. And I do think something's got to give. Much like luck against the Patriots' pass defense, something will give. And it'll either be Foles having a great first start, or it'll be Foles throwing a few interceptions. And for a rarity, the Redskins having a good day with their pass defense. Number four now on my six-pack, it's a rematch between the San Diego Chargers and the Denver Broncos after the epic collapse in week six. Remember that, everyone? The Broncos were down 24-0 at one point, then scored 35 unanswered points against San Diego in San Diego on Monday Night Football. Phillip Rivers having the worst second half in NFL history. There's a chance here for some revenge, and it's in a game that is really the last hope for the San Diego Chargers to have a shot at the AFC West. If the Chargers win, they'll be 5-5. The Broncos will be 6-4, and We'll have a race. If not, Broncos are seven and three, Chargers are four and six, and the Chargers somehow have to make four games up in six games, and that's not going to happen. So here's a last chance to have something interesting happen in the AFC West. So I moved that a little bit higher up on my list, though I think this is a mismatch really and should favor the Denver Broncos rather considerably, but it moves up my list just based on the implications of this game. And oh yeah, Philip Rivers, if you want to save your job, and North Turner, if you want to save your job, 
Here's a chance to get a big road victory against Peyton Manning and crew. And remember, you guys had some big wins over Peyton Manning. Let's see you get the job done. The final two parts of my six-pack here, I say with reservation because of injuries. But number two, the Chicago Bears against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. Two top six teams in my six-pack of top teams. And it could be either a defensive mismatch or a defensive slugfest based on what happens. Alex Smith suffering a concussion against the St. Louis Rams. He is reportedly in line to start at least as of what the anonymous sources and the vague mysteries of the sports mainstream media world are saying. But as of the time of this recording on Thursday, Alex Smith is reportedly in line to start Monday night against the Chicago Bears. Meanwhile, it's a lot more vague and unclear about Jay Cutler as he suffered a concussion against the Houston Texans last Sunday night. As of this recording, he's completely questionable. Could we see Jason Campbell against Colin Kaepernick or Jason Campbell against Alex Smith? Or could we see Jay Cutler against Alex Smith. I'm very interested to see what will happen. The Chicago Bears, tops in the league in defensive pass rating. The 49ers are fourth. Meanwhile, the 49ers, second in pass rating differential, seventh for the Chicago Bears. And very quietly still, the 49ers have a pass rating over 100. I still think regression is due. But there's also regression due for the Chicago Bears. So something's got to give there. Who will have the better end of it? Or is this just going to be split in the middle somewhere where there's an 80 pass rating and we'll be fine when it's all said and done? Finally, I have to look at this. This has been a fantastic rivalry, especially as of late historically. The Baltimore Ravens against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I just wonder, is this going to be the same old slugfest we've seen years on end now that Ben Roethlisberger isn't starting, or will there be a mismatch with Byron Leftwich starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Or is it because the Baltimore Ravens have had defensive setbacks this year that maybe it ends up being a slugfest because you have Leftwich instead of Ben Roethlisberger? But think about this. Nine of the last 11 matchups between these two teams have been determined by seven points or less. That includes eight of nine in the regular season. Meanwhile, seven of the last 10 matchups have been determined by four points or less, which includes seven of the last eight in the regular season. And oh yeah, by the way, the four regular season games at Heinz Field since 2008, 23-20 Steelers in overtime, 23-20 Steelers, 17-14 Ravens, and finally last year, 23-20 Ravens. If that tells you anything, expect this game to go down to the wire and expect your full money's worth on Sunday Night Football. That, at least, is one thing I know will have some interesting headline in Week 11. That just about does it for this edition of the Stat Pack. This is Adam Dobrowolski signing off. Until next week, Pigskins fans... Enjoy the football that comes your way.